Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Wall Street Journal bestselling author Brianna Labuskis. Brianna writes psychological thrillers and historical fiction. She started her career in journalism and spent more than a decade covering the intricacies of policy and politics on Capitol Hill. She now lives in Asheville with her puppy, Jinx. Welcome, Brianna. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so happy to have you. And we have we decided we have dogs on both sides. So if there's yeah. noise, it's it's certainly from a puppy. And that's just the way it is for writers, right? Since we we um we live at home and work at home and have to have furry friends. So yeah. um so before we get dig dig into all my questions about this, because I loved this book and the main character, Gretchen White, who was so fun. Tell our listeners about See It End. So See It End is the third book in the Gretchen White trilogy. Um, Gretchen is a a psychologist, but also um, a sociopath. (laughs) Um, And she kind of uses her her personality to solve these crazy crimes um, because she has this unique insight into, you know, criminal minds because she's a sociopath. So, um, the first, uh, the first one dealt with uh, a kid who was a, like a psychopath. And so Gretchen was kind of like the only one who could kind of be on her side because she's like, oh, she's kind of like me. Um, and the second one delves into what happened to Gretchen in her history. And this one is her partner is arrested for a murder. And she's like, I don't, I need, I don't believe she did it. So <laughs> that's kind of a quick overview of all of the, the three books. Yeah, and her partner is a detective, Detective Marconi, and not only, um, I mean, really, she's caught on the ring camera going in the front door of where there is a dead body, so it's a very, it's really a hard one to escape, and really, you know, even Marconi's, you know, um, romantic partner, who is her, uh, who is in internal affairs, sort of finds it impossible to believe that she didn't actually do this, and of course, she comes to Gretchen and says, I did it. Don't investigate, which Gretchen takes um, with her twisted mind as a, as a like call to investigate. She's like, <laughs> well, there's, there's absolutely something wrong with her that she told me not to investigate. Meanwhile, um, you know, her Lachlan, her, who is the romantic partner is like, she told you not to investigate. You shouldn't investigate. And Gretchen's like, you clearly don't understand me at all. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really fun. And there's a, there's a, you know, they don't, the, the romantic, you know, the boyfriend, Lachlan and Gretchen don't historically get along very well. So it's really fun to see them thrown together. There's lots of um, wonderful moments of dark humor um, and Gretchen is just sharp as a whip. So that is super fun. It's a, it's a really fun book. And I have not read the first two books yet, but I felt like I read it and it was, a you know, one of the tricks about writing series, you know, as you know, and I know is to make every book into it could be read in any order and then our readers will want to go back and read the earlier books. And that is how I felt with this. I was like, I wasn't lost. There's enough beautifully woven in backstory that I understood, you know, who Gretchen was, who, who Marconi, Marconi was, how they know each other, um, that I didn't feel like I was missing anything. So that's 
kudos to you for that because that can be really hard. That's such a relief to hear because this is my first series actually. And, um, and so I didn't know, like, I didn't, it, it was just a learning experience essentially of being like, what, um, what, what's happening over there. Okay. Sorry. He has gotten a squeaker. (laughs) Anyways. Okay. I cannot hear her squeaking. Oh, okay. 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 I'm sorry. I'm just like, so into it okay um let me start where my uh uh series yeah first series okay so this was yeah this was my first series and it was a learning experience of trying to figure out um how much to put in how much uh you know backstory would bog it down this is the third book in a series I wasn't sure how many people were going to be picking it up as the standalone right um but I've already heard from like a couple of people being like oh I read this as like the you know first and first book I found out of it um and so I think I don't know I how do you approach that I don't I uh it was hard but I'm glad that it resonated yeah it's so interesting to me that I I know you're known for your standalones I did not realize this was your first series and it is a different beast but I, I we have and we had had the same publisher Thomas and Mercer who, who is the imprint of Amazon and um they really love a series so every time I would write a standalone Exhum was a standalone whiteout was a standalone every time I wrote a standalone they're like let's change the ending a little bit and let's make this series and I was like it was a whiteout okay. <laughs> White yeah. Out has, yeah 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 whiteout has far gone is a second and the okay. third book in the series comes out in uh, next month so it's Absolutely. yeah up close so it's it's very it's absolutely and it was fun like I feel like once you get to know a character I mean you know like you sort of fall in love with Gretchen like I fell in love with you know Kylie in in that series and Annabelle Schwartzman in the uh Exum series the, she's a medical examiner it's really fun but you're right you have to you have to sort of leave enough open that there's an opportunity to take them in a new place. And then I do feel like, I mean, I, like Bob Dagoni, who is another Thomas and Mercer author, who's a phenom about his series, you know, Tracy Crossway, there's like 10 books in that series. Ten, like, yeah, eight or 10 or whatever. I don't know how, and we talk, I've talked to him about that. I'm like, I don't know how you do that, but you know, he's like you, and it's true. Like once you sort of turn on the tap of someone's life, there's just a lot there, right? And you can't touch on all of it in a book. So it's just a matter of looking at a sort of different, you know, a different sort of angle, which you did. Interestingly, I would have thought Gretchen's origin story would have been the first book. I considered that. I, I really, the way that I found myself into Gretchen as a character was through really enjoying the psychopath kid trope. And I just- So I almost backed into her because I was like, I had Viola, who's the little um, psycho kid. And I thought like, how cool would it be if she was framed? Like, because everyone's like, oh, you know, of course the psychopath kid did it, right? Right, Um, right. And the knife's in her drawer and she she killed rabbits and stuff like that. And so who is going to be able to believe her? And I thought, oh, like someone who has this experience. And so Viola, her her crime story, the mist, the center mystery had always been her for this first book. And so it just ended up really working out. I think it pulled readers along, um, and gave them a really satisfying second book. And then, um, something I heard over and over in the series, how much they liked Marconi's relationship mm-hmm. with Gretchen. Yeah. Which was an interesting choice. Cause they only have them on page together, um, in that first chapter, right? Uh, <laughs> which is, I mean, um, in the current timeline, 
yeah. Marconi gets we get um well, well for people who've seen read, read the whole series you have the meat up from Marconi's perspective um instead of Gretchen's which was what the first book was um anyways and so I really don't have them on the page a lot together and so um you know my editor was like are you sure this is gonna work but um I think you still kind of get their relationship through yeah through, through yeah. Lachlan and through Gretchen's yeah. point of view absolutely and yeah and Marconi is you know you have her in you know, it's her chapters in the past, right? Dealing with sort of what had happened when her son disappeared. And there's, you know, it's, it works, I think, very effectively. And we do imagine that because Gretchen has all these sort of anecdotes about their experiences together and the way that, that I learned, you know, I learned as much about, I feel like as much about Lauren Marconi from the chapters in Gretchen's point of view as I did from the chapters in her point of view. Because of course, she's also a very different person than she was Lauren is, I mean, when than she was when she was living in, um, you know, in those towns when all that stuff happened. So anyway, I thought that was, I thought it was beautifully done, and it's, it's, it is really, you do a good, really good job of like really twisty people. <laughs> I don't know what what goes on between those ears, uh, Brianna, but there's some definite little. Those screws are a little loose, and and for the best, in the best possible way. So, um, I was gonna ask, like, you know. You, you mentioned sort of the the seed for the first book was, you know, was this, was Viola, this um, psycho kid, as you call her, which I love. Um, <laughs> what, do you remember sort of the seed for this story, um, how it, how it came? Oh, um, I just knew, I, I knew it was going to be Marconi's book. I knew that she was going to get arrested um, and then I was like, you know, then you start being like, well, why? And then like, you keep asking yourself those questions like, okay, well, why, like, why does Gretchen not think she did it? And like, why wouldn't she right. have done it? all sorts of, stuff. I don't want to give too much away, but right. um, you start kind of, when you start asking yourself, you know, the, the logic, when you start trying to figure out the logic, it just becomes like this, this, uh, you know, these puzzle pieces that click into mm -hmm. place. I actually yeah. wrote half of the book. I want to say half the book with a different ending in mind with a different oh. bad guy. Oh, I don't know if that's too spoilery, but a different bad guy. Um, and so then it ends up kind of being kind of authentic in terms of. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So the, talk about that. Like, I mean, um, when you start a book, um, you know, are you, do you, I mean, it sounds like, you know, the ending. And I think that's, that feels true to me too like at least I know sort of the direction I'm heading but I'm I'm not a good plotter do you do you know the plotter your pants or how do you work I'm a total pantser too and I think like when people hear you know thriller writers like us like say that they're like what um but I just I like telling myself the story and so that first draft I always kind of talk about as a really detailed outline mm -hmm. um and I just really can go back and have very um I have a lot of flexibility when I'm editing. I, I move chapters and I delete and scenes like without any uh, attachment. <laughs> yeah, um, kill, killing your darlings easily. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind killing my darlings. Um, okay. And so, but I do usually have the twist. Um, and again, I usually have like who who did it, who done it, um, or at least like what, like whatever the question is, the, mm -hmm. I usually have an answer. Um, and two, uh, two books where I changed changed who it was like halfway through and so it's yeah it's just interesting I don't know I was writing it 
and it's not necessarily like the big twist change, but um, like a smaller twist change. And so I was like, oh, you're just, this is boring. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, this is boring. Like if I, if I do it this way, it's going to be boring. And so then I have to think through like, oh, it will make it interesting. Um, well, so, you yeah. did it. I'm, I mean, I think the way that you ended it was, it was really good. So I don't know what you had in mind before, but I think uh, I'm going to just say, I think this was the right ending. It was really <laughs> effective. So I really enjoyed that. Now, is this, so, you know, since you're normally a standalone author, how do ideas come to you? Like, where do you find sort of, you know, inspiration for a story? Because I feel like once you're in a series, you're kind of like, at least you're sort of boxed into what your choices are because you already yeah. know the people. But when you're, when you're writing a standalone, it seems like, the, you know, the sky's the limit. So how- Yeah, the world is your oyster. Yeah. And that's <laughs> kind of both, the fun parts, right? It's fun, but it's also kind of terrifying if there's so, if there's so many options. So how do you normally sort of come up, you know, upon ideas? So I usually, it's kind of weird for me, but it's, place-based and so like for example I was reading um I was just going through the New York Times one day like their photo essays and I found this uh beautiful photo essay of these islands off the coast of Maine um and like 20 people lived there right and um they were so haunting like they are like empty playgrounds and like you know, one room, school rooms and stuff like that. And I thought, oh my gosh, like what, <laughs> what a cool place to set a crime. And so then like, then you start like, oh, what is the crime? Who are the people? And like, yeah, like that kind of stuff. And then um, like the next one that I did after that was I was watching a documentary about this um, shield laws they're called. And like they're, um, it's set in Idaho. And like, so parents are allowed to not give their children medical treatment because of these laws that exist and there's like five states that still have it um and so just really awful legislation fight in Idaho going on and um I was like oh <laughs> like what a cool so it's usually place-based for me which is kind of weird it's like less about like oh a twist it's more like the everything kind of plays a part of where the setting is and 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 what characters would live there and like what outside pressures are in on this um crime so it's interesting because you you know you spent so long in dc dealing with policy yeah. so you kind of are drawn to these things where there's like a, a, a real conflict with sort of what the policy is versus what's morally right right not not yeah. uh, taking care of your not giving your children medical attention seems to be something that is um not right in my mind anyway so it's an, a great opportunity to twist a story from that for sure it is and it ends up be, it ended up being um like two or three months after or before my book came out, like a kid in Tennessee, which was one of the five states, died of cancer because their parents didn't want them to get treatment. And it was just like right out of the headlines. Um, so it's not necessarily like it was like these obscure cases. It is because it's five states, but like it wasn't like completely obscure. No, story. no. And to be able to like be like, well, what if there was a murder in that community? How would they tell the difference? Um, right. So that's when you start thinking those ideas is when you start generating other like plot bunnies and, you know, threads and stuff like that. Did you call them plot bunnies? Yeah, plot bunnies. <laughs> what's a, I've never heard that, Brianna. What's a plot bunny? <laughs> um, <laughs> I have no idea where the term came from. It just like came out of my mouth. But um, it's uh, in in like fanfic communities. I don't know if you know anything about fan fiction, but um, 
flat bunnies are kind of like ideas that you're going to have like in the future or like that come into play like like plot thread lines essentially okay, okay. Um, and so they just call them flat bunnies I don't know why <laughs> That's, I love it I'm gonna have to try to use that in my in my life in my future life that's awesome yeah. so let's talk, let's talk this is something you're really known for which is this sort of so like really a lot of knowledge about psychology and you know personality disorders we were talking about it a little bit before we started recording um because obviously Gretchen White is and, I, and we of course have read stories about psychopaths right we you know we are sociopaths you would think of Silence of the Lambs and all sorts of ones but you do seem to know a lot about um you know <laughs> Socio sociopath, psychopath, serial killers. Um, is this like an is this a natural interest that you developed over all these books? Did you study it? How did you you know? How do you learn? Yeah, so it kind of is a combination. Um, I was always interested in psychology. I almost majored in psychology, and then they're like, "Well, these are the statistics classes that you have to take if you major in psychology." And I was like, "No, thank you." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I had like you know, I went to I actually took. Um, college classes when I was in high school on it and so like I've just always been super fascinated by by psychology and so you know when you're interested in something you end up gravitating towards nonfiction, like podcasts movies all mm -hmm. sorts of stuff and so I've just been for I don't know since I was in high school just kind of consuming all sorts of um abnormal psychology content um and so yeah I like <laughs> I really love diving into it. I think it's so fascinating. Um, one of the things that I specifically researched for Gretchen was sociopathy. Um, and they don't really call it that. So like, I'm kind of sorry for anyone who's like, <laughs> like yeah. an actual psychologist listening, right. like right. personality disorders, et cetera, et cetera. But layman in layman's terms, we kind of know them as sociopaths. And that's kind of lacking that conscience and empathy. Um, and there's all sorts of research out, out there, but the one that I found the most uh, interesting, the most useful was written by a sociopath. And so we got like, I got so much of her interiority of um, just how they think so differently and, uh, and it proved so useful. <laughs> like yeah. she, she was, a, she was a Mormon. And, um, she used, you know, so that, that faith for anyone who doesn't know has a lot of guidelines. Um, and so she used the text of like the religious text of what you should do as a Mormon to control her instincts and control her impulses that she has as a sociopath. Cause she's got, I don't want to end up in jail. Like there, yeah. like there are people who are like, understand what they are and they're like, I need guidelines. And so for Gretchen, um, I was able to kind of give her, um, a character that acts as like her, you know, Mormon religious textbook. I'm like, right, these are the right. things that you have to do to and not end up in jail and have a productive life. Um, yeah. and, uh, so she was really fascinating and you read reviews of that book and they're like, well, she contradicts herself a lot and she lies a lot and she like, she's, you know, grandiose in her storytelling. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> She's a psychopath. She's a sociopath. That's, that's how it is. Yeah. I'm, curious, I'm so curious about this book with the Mormon. What do you remember what it's called? Um, it's called um oh, uh I, anytime anyone asks me like a book title, I know. Yeah. Like, what I, are books? I, I, yeah. <laughs> You're like, I can't even sometimes remember the, the names of my own books. Um that is I get that. But if you remember it, I think it would be so interesting. I um um, confessions of a sociopath. I'm sorry. Confessions okay. of a sociopath, a life spent hiding in plain sight. 
And so she talks about, she actually created a message board for sociopaths to come um, and post on. And so, so you get, you know, what I was talking about with guidelines and stuff. Some, like one person was like, I will commit misdemeanors and not felonies. Yeah. Like that was their guardrail of like, we need to be able to, um, yeah, live (laughs) and not go to jail. Um, not like, um, in, in, again, in layman ter- layman's terms, like psychopaths are more like they can't control their yeah. urges. And sociopaths can more control those those urges. Right. Um, right. There's actually people who don't know they're sociopaths. Like they're one, um, the one, <laughs> the one example I find amazing is this scientist was working on brain scans and of sociopaths, and he found a brain scan, and he was like, "Oh, this person's like definitely a sociopath," and it was his brain scan. <laughs> And he was like, oh, okay, things are starting to make sense. He's like, I keep friendships and I like lost jobs and like things like that were just like always red flags for like what happens when you don't have impulse control. He's like, oh. That is so interesting. And then is like naturally he's he's interested in those people, not quite realizing why. Well, it is and is I mean, is the interest is the interest in all of that sort of just about like the different ways that deviant minds work I mean it's certainly natural for our business to want to understand that but it sounds like you've been interested in it forever and so were you like you know at the time I mean should we ask if you're a sociopath Brianna <laughs> <laughs> I would like to think of <laughs> I'm just kidding yeah, we, um... we need... but I mean like so what I just was it you know was it because you were you know interested in those kinds of books and, and human behavior. And um, it just seems like an, an it's interesting thing. Most of us in high school were more interested right. in like the boys on the, you know, basketball team or whatever, but. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, serial killers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's so funny. Um, I just really like thinking about how people tick and the extreme version of that. And so um, I actually think it kind of reflects in like the books that I've chosen to write. It's like um, thrillers. And then I have my historicals, which are set in war, which is like human emotion, human thinking, like what makes us, what makes us human, all of that amplified. And so I just really like high stakes things. Um, And so I think that kind of is what drew me to it. It's also... (laughs) evolutionarily speaking is we like to pay attention to things that are not normal because you know that's what's going to end up killing us <laughs> so it's right. like you pay attention to the tiger you don't pay attention to like the trees around you right. um and so I think yeah I again I'm just like so curious about um uh yeah, social social psychology and and individual psychology and all sorts of things like that. I just like, I just like thinking about how, how minds work, I think. Yeah. And and actually it's interesting because there's a lot of, you know, characters behaving badly in the book. I mean, really across kind of everybody and a lot of moral, moral gray, if you will, you know, and of course I think, you know, in light of the situation and the stakes and they were talking about children and parents protecting their children and protecting their spouses, you know, it's, it's makes it sense for people to do, to make choices that it would, if we were looking at it in different circumstances would seem like bad choices, but <laughs> you know, it sort of brings the question like, you know, what, what do you think? Are we all capable of doing something really horrible under extreme circumstances? Right. I think so. That's kind of where I always land. I think, um, 
one of the concepts that I play around a lot with is this idea that like, like a good person versus a bad person. And um, I think we're taught that. And I think as children, like one, our brains like being sorted into two, into binaries, but um, we're taught that as children too. And like we watch Disney movies and, and, you know, white hat Westerns and there's good people and there's bad people. And it's just, that's not really how it plays out in the world. And it's like, I'm not a good person. I'm not a bad person. I'm just a person trying to, you know, right, <laughs> live right. life and hurt people. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm like all good. And and I think um and I think that gets people in trouble. And I think it's becoming a trend with social media because there's no nuance there. And so we have to revert back to like this person is good and like everything they've said is good. Um or this person is bad and everything like you know the, yeah one bad thing negates all of the good things right. canceled. Canceled. Yeah. It's um, so you know, it's like problematic and it, of itself, but I, I do think that, um, I like gray areas. I really like exploring them. I think that again, it comes back to like what makes us human and so much yeah. of it is so wired too. <laughs> when you start like paying attention to this kind of stuff, everything is so wired into like evolution and like tribal psychology and all sorts of things like that. And so to think that we have like all of this, uh, ability to be good um, is not necessarily, uh, I don't think it's reality. And I think yeah. a lot of it down to sometimes your choices. And that's why I really like Gretchen is um, something yeah. that per se kind of over the course of the series is like, <laughs> she's a better person than some of these other people in the book. Yeah, exactly. You know, her inner thoughts are terrible, but like she doesn't act on them. Right. And what does that mean? Is she a bad person or is she a good person? Like, and it's hard right. to say. And, and right does what we do in our mind make us bad like if we're just right. if it's just a thought and it's not voice I mean you could argue it does but if no one knows you know um well and another thing that I I really enjoyed about the book which I feel like it, it felt so um authentic to me is the sort of the these you know the the woman whose husband is you know like abusive and then she gets caught in the cycle and and then you know was it Stockholm syndrome you said didn't exist? Stockholm syndrome doesn't exist. Correct. Okay, I, I learned I, during this. I book, want to hear about so that. Cool. I want to hear about that. But uh, but let me finish this thought first because I was like yeah, that, yeah. Was what, that was I was I was like trying to remember what the thing was because I had yeah, never heard sorry. that. I had we'll forgotten I put that in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, we'll I'm get. Well, well, it is exciting. I mean, and very different than anything we've read. Of course, we've all read yeah. about Stockholm syndrome, so we'll come back to that. But first, I want to talk about the sort of the cycle of abuse for women because you know, at some point, you know, the fear of being hurt by your husband, you know, in this, in or in, in a, especially in a, in a situation where she has zero freedom, right? Like no ability to get out of the house and she has a child that she's trying to, you know, protect it. She becomes, um, she, you know, she gets drawn into things that are, all, she also is now sort of a criminal or making bad decisions or, and so, you know, that is sort of, that's a really interesting thing too. It's like, to what, standards do we hold her based on sort of the situation that she was in in that marriage I that's yeah you summed it up perfectly because like that and I don't know I don't think there's easy answers to any of these questions mm -hmm. and that's why I like writing about them is like I'm almost thinking through them myself as I'm writing these characters and and I would like and I hope um that it happens is you know I want the readers to not have an immediate judgment of what that right answer is like I want right be able to present you know okay she, she's a victim 
but she's making choices. Like, I don't know. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, well, then you say that and your every instinct in my body is like, no, she's a like straight victim. And so I, it's it's just a hard, hard, like, yeah, I don't know. It's It's so hard. hard. It's so hard. (laughs) And you know, it comes back to, this is, you know, it's, this is a, I mean, and especially the way the world is working right now, right? I mean, all this, like, if we don't help people escape from bad situations in the same way, if we don't help people emerge from poverty, then they behave badly. And we're like, well, I mean, do they belong in jail or do we just need better social services? You know, it's kind of like, I mean, my sister lives in Oakland and they have this whole, like, there's this thing now they don't pursue people who steal less than $500. So people walk into Safeway, fill their cart and walk out and nobody stops them. It's like this, you know, there's not the manpower, the, the police power, there's not the, you know, prison space. And it's yet, it's like, isn't there a better way that we could just like help them find, you know, education jobs instead we're just, I mean, cause that is a huge expense too, right? seems like we could be doing this better. I don't know. Not that, again, I have zero answers. I'm just here like you to propose, um, to pose the problem. I know. Well, yeah. And it's like, yeah, I won't start getting into like police spending and stuff, but it's just like, you know, there's so much money out there. If you look at money, especially in California, and the money's not the problem, you know, like, and so it's just, we're not using it in the right way. And I'm a, I'm a huge systemic, systemic person. Like I don't really, um, I don't really like drilling down to like individual things. Um, so I'm like, oh, it's like the system. And so, yeah. you know, this character got caught up in this like violent system. And, yeah. and one of my favorite chapters for her is her thinking about like, you know, her past and like how she got here. And 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 you really see every point where people failed her. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then she's an adult. And so, and has to own her. Like, when do you have to start owning your own choices? When, when does the cycle of violence just never leave you? I don't know. Or like, do you just never have responsibility for your choices? I don't know. Again. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think it's right. Like thinking about, I, I, when I, when I like thinking about something, I try to put in a book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's true. I think there, and there's the trauma that, you know, of, of the past and that's not easy to get over. We know, of course, from war and soldiers and everything that, that that is very debilitating and very permanent. So yeah. And, you know, and that's people we send to war when they're, you know, practically adults, if not really their brains aren't always fully formed, but we're talking about people who were, you know, abused and, and neglected as children. And then, you know, it seems like a, the pattern is going to be just so much harder to escape. Okay. Let's get back to Stockholm syndrome. Oh, yeah. Why does this not exist? And how did you find that out? Okay. I'm not, I'm like hazy on the details now, but, um, the, it was named after this situation, which was essentially just police failure. Um, and, oh golly, (laughs) I am going to mess up all of the details. So anyone who's actually interested should just Google it. Um, but there was a woman who was being held and she was trying to talk the police into like not shooting the captors because she was somebody, she was really famous. It's, um, I feel like we should know this. I have to Google it now because I'm like, okay. I was like, so interesting. Um, But essentially. Peggy Peggy something. uh, I'm going to be so embarrassed. Okay. Stop. Um, um, So essentially what happened was the police. I'm going to, I'm going to Google the details, but um, the police said that she was a crazy lady and that she 
that trying to talk them out of performing violence on these captors was her actually be like being in love with them and being unhinged and like oh you're just a woman who's like emotional and all sorts of stuff and she was right. like I'm trying to diffuse the situation um and so then it got into this idea of like a psych a psychological effect that a captor could change the person who was like in their captivity but it was really just misogyny on this uh, on this police officer's like side of trying to defend his own actions against this like senseless violence that happened well patty hurst is the story is the yes. one that i think of but it sounds like it was actually the origin is somewhere in norway it was is it so just... yeah 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 stockholm um and or sweden yeah so um oh yeah that makes sense it's called stockholm syndrome duh okay i'm yeah. having it's morning here still so the brain no, cells are still connecting. <laughs> I'm like sort of patching together like the memory of research but, it, but that's so so it is interesting to think yeah so basically the you know the idea that somebody could be manipulated into um you know falling in love with their captor and then i use that as an excuse um for being part of the gang yes yeah, so it just kind of takes the autonomy off of like women and like in a way that is just you see over and over in history and the like, oh, that, you know, the crazy woman is <laughs> like it pops up every, like every right. century. Right. Um, unhinged, she's too emotional, like whatever. Hysterical, she's, right. Hysterical, all these, that's the perfect totally. word. Yes. It's a word only used for women, <laughs> the right? There are no me. hysterical men. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that. Well, that is really interesting. I had not heard that, but it makes sense that, that you know, and I think we are trying now, you know, we've been trying for a while, but women are trying to be like, no, no, no. You know, we, we're not any, we're not psychologically that different from men. Like we can be manipulated, of course, and, and mistreated and, and, you know, but we're not, yeah, we're not the, the brainless idiots that, history has sometimes made us out to be right that's kind of the thrust of like people looking at like stockholm syndrome now and being like that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't what that like, was no, it was not like oh she was a woman and she fell in love with them like that wasn't what was happening it was literally like she was a scapegoat for this police officer who ended up killing whatever or just a police incompetence i remember um not to defame him or anything like that but it, it, it was very like a police incompetence and blaming this emotional woman hysterical yeah. woman and this idea that we all believe in and like I did until this book yeah um, oh for sure I, 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 I went to write about her having Stockholm syndrome and so then I looked it up just to make sure like I knew everything about it and I was like what it's been, <laughs> it's been disproven oh my god yeah. that's a, I mean it is it's an, another thing about being a writer right is that I mean we if we'd written a book 10 years ago a lot of the things that we assume about psychology and about well and everything yeah. technology the whole the whole gamut has changed so much and so you have to sort of be like it's smart of you I probably would have just written about it and been like you know oh yeah Stockholm syndrome still exists <laughs> that's so funny I, I do that a little bit it's so funny I do that a little bit with um just because I feel like I do kind of have like a layered background with all the psychology stuff so I'm like oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and now I my new series is um a linguist a forensic linguist wow i have none of the like i have none of the background and so i'm sitting there like looking oh my god the research on it is making me realize how much like grounding i had in psychology where i could just be like yes oh, blah, blah 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 like i have to look up maybe stockholm syndrome or i have to do read a book about sociopathy in particular but like a lot of things i don't really need to like specifically look up 
and and linguists oh I dedicated the book to linguists because I was like this science is so hard <laughs> yeah so tell so that I was gonna ask of course I was gonna ask if there was gonna be a fourth book in the Gretchen series which does not sound like there is at this moment anyway so tell us yeah tell us a little bit more and I'm curious to know what 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 you know drew you to writing about a linguist yeah so um I do and tell, tell people what a linguist does you know, oh, so they, uh, especially for forensic linguists, they will use like written threats and like written, um, anything written essentially, which is now has evolved into like text messages. Um, and they use it to help solve the crime. Um, and so, uh, the most famous example is the Unabomber case and they released that his manifesto to the public. And then the brother-in-law recognized his writing style and like some of like his thoughts and stuff. And so that's how they caught the Unabomber. Um, and, but there are other cases too, that are like super fascinating, <laughs> but hard to extrapolate from because they're all like very specific Yeah, yeah. <laughs> examples. And so, yeah, so I, I just was kind of trying to think of a new series. I was at the moment, I was kind of like, I'm, I, I've told Gretchen's worldviews, universe stories. I have like one in my mind that I could do as a fourth book eventually, if I ever want to come back to it. Um, but you know, you kind of want to end on like, you know, yeah, <laughs> making people want more or whatever. So I was kind of just trying to think of like what my next book was going to be. And um, I just kind of, when I start doing that again, I just kind of start looking at nonfiction stuff and, and, and researching like cool, cool FBI jobs, essentially. Right, right. And forensic linguists kind of came up and I thought that was so fascinating, like to be able to, um, you know, narrow down a suspect list. Like they solved a crime one time because, um, you know, that strip of land between like a sidewalk and the road, it's like grass. Yeah. Uh, the boulevard or whatever. Yeah, I don't really know what to call it, but um, <laughs> apparently there's a one county in the entire country in I in Ohio that calls it the Devil's Landing Strip. Um, oh, and this communicate I know, and this communication to the law, the police had had said to drop the bag at the Devil's Landing Strip on this street or whatever, and they had one suspect who was from that county in Ohio, and they that was the guy. Um, and so stuff that wasn't like, very smart of him to be clear. no <laughs> that <laughs> again, is not the smartest criminal we've run into <laughs> you don't really um uh so your idiolect is like um the the kind of like your dialect but like specifically how you talk the words that mm -hmm. you choose, all sorts of stuff you're not actually very aware of it right um, and it's actually can be as identifying as a fingerprint like even just the way and you know this because you're a writer but like the way you construct a sentence where you put that, if you use that um, for non-writers, which are, you know, a lot of these criminals are who are doing this are, um, you know, what misspellings they make or um, if they're trying to dumb down their writing. Like you can tell if someone's dumbing down their writing because of linguistic uh, like um, principles. And so like, yeah. oh, a K for can, but then cops will use a C. So like, yeah. you know, they're just, they're just trying to, it's a really hard science. Um, so yeah. trying to like beat it or um, can't really do it. But I find it really interesting is text messaging. Um, yeah. So now oh, we're getting a lot of um, the, 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 the field of study is becoming more uh, popularized because there's so much text messaging, you know, I and mean. people are like, did they have their phone? And so like, there are cases that have been based on the, you know, maybe the boyfriend, let's say, 
has the phone and is texting as the girlfriend who right and so they're like well he has an alibi during this window that she was killed but like he had her phone he was like trying to you know and so they're like he uses see you like the letter see you next you know whatever (laughs) right um and uh and versus yes yes that and that seems right that's that seems super uh yeah that makes total sense to me because i think um we all, yeah, we all have our own little ticks and you notice them, you know, I think most of us notice them, I think it, it, here and there with our, even our friends and whatnot. So I can imagine they'd be wonderful tells to find out, um, yeah, to solve a crime. That's really interesting. So um, you're already, it sounds like you've already written this book. Yeah. You- so that's, it's actually coming out. It's um, I just turned in past pages on like last week. Um, so it's coming out in November. And it's called The Lies You Wrote. I love that. What a great title. So are you doing two books a year? Yeah. This one's a little... <laughs> That's insane. This one was a little tight. Um, I think we'll have some breathing space because I'm writing... It's a two-book series so far. Um, so I'm writing the second one right now. Um, but I think just like production schedule, um, the editor was like, can you can you hit this? And so I'm writing full-time. So it does, uh, that's helpful, but I also have my historical contracts. So I write historicals too. And, um, so yeah, this year was a little tight, but once I hit this deadline, which is July 1st, I think I'll have some breathing room, which is nice. (laughs) Okay. And the deadline is for the third, the second book in the series. The second for the linguist. Yeah. Oh my Gosh, yeah, you are insane. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> it's well established that you're and incredibly productive. That's amazing, especially for a pantser, because I feel like when I, you know, my pantsing means I'm like, I pants myself like 20,000 words in the wrong direction and have to come back and be like, where am I? So you're oh, obviously- I've done that so many times. <laughs> yeah. Do you have, so you're working full time. Do you have a schedule? Are you like up in the morning? I'm at my computer. Um, you late night worker. How does, what's, what's best time for you? I'm a little more late night. I, um, I usually go hiking with my dog in the morning. We have like a, um, a pretty nice, like wooded area to hike in. So we hike for about an hour and a half in the mornings. And then, um, I do try to write from then on, uh, most of the day. Sometimes I'm better at it than others, but. Of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. And what do you do when you get stuck? Do you, is that what the hiking's for to kind of clear your head and help you find your way back? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a, I don't know, this isn't like a proper term or anything, but I like fast draft. And so it's like, I will do 3000 words a day for about five weeks. And then I have a book. Wow. Um, and mm. so it's kind of like, I don't let myself get stuck or like, I just, I have to write 3000 words a day. And so even if I go back later and I'm like, oh, these 3000 words were terrible. At least it's moving me forward. Yeah. Um, and I, and I have times where I'm like, you need to rewrite that. Like I'll put it at the end of the chapter, but you need to rewrite this chapter, but then I just keep moving on. Got um, it. So I ends up being, uh, I do a lot of work in, in my self edits. Um, but for that yeah. first push of like usually five to six weeks, you know, with a day or two off a, a week, um, it kind of shakes out that way. Then I have a book to work with at least. That's amazing. Yeah. So you don't end up in a place where you've like really gone off the rails. That's my problem. Off the rails writing. I, I, I had, I had that um, in particular with Gretchen one, 
was I was I was about 30 to 40 K in, which is about halfway through for um, anyone listening. Um, but uh, the pandemic hit. And I was just writing and writing and then going to Twitter and refreshing. And I worked covering health news at the time. So like, that was crazy. My sister works in the ER, mm. uh, doctor in the ER. So that was crazy. At the time we thought like anyone with asthma was going to like drop over. Yeah. Like, my mom has asthma. Like it was just like super stressful. stressful. Yeah. And yeah. I was doing this consistent writing um, at the time. And I, I mean, I ended up deleting like 40,000 words. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> None okay. of it was good. <laughs> well, I think we, that, the, that, I wrote a book that then I had to, yeah, throw in the trash and start over. Yeah. So I, I do understand that. That was a really, it was yeah. outside stress is not great for um, creatives, you know? Yeah. And well, I think we didn't necessarily process that enough. Like, or, or no, I, I guess we talk about it a lot. We all talk about it a lot, but I do think we're kind of hard on ourselves and like, oh, we should be writing. And it's also like, we're in the middle of. Yeah. yeah a global crisis. Yeah. It's, it's not that realistic really to ask us to be superhuman right. in times of, of, of crisis. So, um, well, okay. That, so I love the idea of, um, the lies you wrote. That's fabulous. And then, um, see it end. And this comes out, um, April 18th. April 18th. Right. So that's super soon. That's in five days. So actually this, I think our show will come out on the 20th. So by okay. the time you are listening to this fabulous show, see it end is out there. And it sounds like you can also, you know, probably pre-order or almost pre-order yeah. the next book. Yep. And then also you, Brianna has like a thousand books before this, right? How many? <laughs> Not quite a thousand. That one is my seventh thriller. Yeah. Okay. Wait, so she seventh thriller. Yeah. 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 Seventh okay. Thriller. So she's you've got lots of um, Brianna to read if um, once you read these ones and lots coming forward. This is so fun. So congratulations on everything and on being able to write two books or maybe more a year. That's incredible. Um, it was really fun to get to chat with you today. Thank you. I was so much fun. Everyone, thank you so much for joining Killer Women today with our guest, Brianna Labuskis. I'm gonna, I had to practice that before we got on and clearly I still couldn't do it. Labuskis <laughs> and, and her fabulous career and her twisty, fabulous mind. So we will see you next time. Until then, have a great reading experience. Bye. Bye.